0: Hello and welcome to episode 187 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for
1: Supporting Marching Aliens Risks Troublesome Schism
0: Ooh, schism Schism My name is Rediger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is
1: Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, dash podcaster
0: That's right oh, all right Should we move on to news? I'm ready Oh, first of all, sorry for no episode last week Yeah But it was a crazy week and we were sick and things were happening Yeah, it was bad Yes, so on to news <laughs> Yes. So we didn't talk about this when it originally happened. Um, the falling out that Disney had with James Gunn mm-hmm. uh, before he could direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Um, there was. We won't get into the reasons why they had a falling out and everything. You can. Yeah. You can look it up. We don't. I thought we, we did look, cover it. No, I don't think we talked about it at the time. Um, we might have talked about some of the fallout afterwards. Right. But um, apparently they patched things up, and now James Gunn is back on board to write and direct.
1: Awesome. The movie. So awesome. I heard that he had already written the script that somebody else was just. Well,
0: he had get. already written the script. So it seemed for a while that they were going. First, I think it seemed like they were going to throw out a script. And then there was like, well, we're going to use the script, but somebody else will direct it. Mm-hmm. And then certain cast members threatened to leave the project if yeah. they didn't use his script. And then, like, I know Dave Batista specifically was like, I'll leave the project unless he directs. And so I don't know. But then there have been reports that Disney never even. Initiated a search for his replacement. So part of me wonders if they never really, if they always planned on bringing mm-hmm, him back mm-hmm. and they were just trying to sort of have it both ways by, yeah, you know, I don't know, like appeasing the people that wanted him fired, but then right. waiting a year and appeasing the people who wanted him back. I don't know. Um, so we've talked about how he's going to be directing uh, the, the next Suicide Squad movie for Warner Brothers. So right. he's still on to do that. That was seemingly like a condition of his rehiring is that yeah. he, he's still gonna that's still his next project and then after that he'll go directly into uh guardians of the galaxy volume 3
1: i am tremendously excited yes i'm happy
0: so we also got some uh, titans casting news so isai morales who we know as uh, joseph adama from the short-lived Battlestar galactica spin-off series caprica mm-hmm. has been cast to play slade wilson aka deathstroke in dc universe's titans
1: Yes, that's so going to be fun.
0: I think he's gonna. He, I think he's gonna do a good job in that because he, uh, in just basing it on Caprica, he can play. I don't know. He he can play like a family man, but he can also play like because there were times in that show when he had to get like really hard edged and yeah. like do things that he didn't want to do. Yeah. And although Slade Wilson isn't normally terribly conflicted about things, I yeah. can see like I can see from what. When he had to play darker sides of that character on Caprica, I could see if he goes like full dark, mm-hmm. and play someone with no remorse. Yep. I could mm-hmm. see him doing a really good job at that. And um, even more recently, they've uh, cast um, his son Jericho mm-hmm. and his daughter Rose to be on the show also. So it makes it sound like Rose kind of tries to like get away from him and throws in with the Titans, but they're not sure if they can trust her. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the cast, the fact that they're casting like his whole extended family certainly makes it seem like.
1: It's important that, for them to follow those family threads. Well, well that, whole thing, that whole thing—that whole thing—is
0: going to be like if season one was about Raven's family. It seems yeah. like season two is going to be the whole Deathstroke and Deathstroke extended family thing, plus Superboy, who they obviously teased at the end of season one. Yeah. So I imagine Superboy and Deathstroke are going to be the two big plot threads for the season. Mm-hmm. It seems so far. Cool. Um. So the last last regular announcement is that. Um, so we know that Disney is doing a lot of Marvel. Shows for their upcoming Disney Plus streaming service, the Loki show, and other things that have been rumored, like the um, Falcon and Winter Soldier show and the yep. Vision and Scarlet Witch show. Yep. Um, we know they're doing a bunch of new animated projects for Hulu, like we talked, like we talked about, like Modok and Howard the Duck, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they announced this week though that they're going to be doing an um, an animated series for Disney Plus mm-hmm. based on the classic Marvel series What If. So mm-hmm. this is this was are you familiar with What If? Is no. a so it's basically as someone who's more familiar with DC, it's basically like a monthly Elseworlds. Mm-hmm. So every issue was a new what if, like what if Peter Parker never got bit by the spider? Or what if Captain America had died instead of Bucky? Mm-hmm. Or what if what if um, Betsy Ross became the Hulk instead of Bruce Banner? Or mm-hmm. what if Wolverine never got the adamantium? Or what if, you yeah. know, it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What if Loki had, had gotten the hammer instead of Thor? Or, you know, sure. like this. So the idea is that each episode of this will be a what if and the 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 announcements almost made it sound like they were going to try to tie it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe like the other Disney Plus shows are okay so what we could see theoretically are sort of what-if scenarios based on things we've seen in the movies, mm-hmm. possibly with, again, as with the other shows, actors from the movies reprising their roles. Mm-hmm. So if they do an episode, which is, which is what if Loki got the hammer instead of Thor, they mm-hmm. could theoretically get, at the very least, Tom Hillston, if not Chris Hemsworth, to play those parts on the show. Mm-hmm. So it won't be probably quite as crazy and out there as the comics because they're working with the more limited repertoire of characters and scenarios from the movies as opposed to the many decades worth of comics. Right, But given that it seems like the Marvel content for Disney Plus is very MCU oriented, like the live action shows we've just talked about, Mm -hmm. and it it does make for a better elevator pitch. Like, oh, remember that moment from the Avengers? Yeah. What if it happened this way instead? As opposed to like, oh, here's an obscure character from the comics 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, Mm
1: -hmm. what
0: if... You know, the Cree Skull War and the Scroll War in the comics, it turned out slightly differently. Like, how many people watching Disney, subscribing to Disney Plus are going to even know what that is? Right. Whereas if you say, oh, what if, you know, uh, Coulson didn't die in the Avengers? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. that's, oh, like, oh, I want to see that story. Like, instantly you've got people interested right. in that, right? Um, so I, I think that that's probably the way they're going to go with it. But that's an interesting concept. And doing it animated mm-hmm. obviously means that it's less work. To get those people back to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's faster to do, and you can do also. You can tell stories like on the scale of the movies, right? Yeah. Which presumably the other streaming shows are going to be shows are going to be a little bit, you know, lower key. Mm -hmm. But they could tell stories on the scale of the movies because you can do anything in animation, Mm -hmm. especially if you throw a decent amount of money at it, and you can get the actors back and everything. So I think that's that's an interesting way to to take that concept and and apply it in a way that a modern MCU hungry audiences would be interested
1: Yeah, I agree. That's, that's so cool.
0: And then the last little bit of news, so today as we record this, was the new Apple announcement, the Apple event. Yes. Um, so they basically announced, so it was a very different event in that they were basically just talking about services mm-hmm. instead of projects or apps or operating systems. Um, although there, I guess there were some things in there you could kind of classify as products. I guess if you want to consider a, a titanium credit card a product, um, they basically announced four things almost all of which were heavily rumored already, although I'm, I'm not sure we talked about them on this show. But uh, the first thing they talked about was their new news subscription service, Apple News Plus, mm-hmm. which if you're familiar with the existing Apple News app is basically a new tab in that that lets you for $9.99 US a month get unlimited Netflix-style access to hundreds of magazines mm-hmm. in addition to select content from some digital uh, publications and newspapers like the Wall Street Journal, Vox... You know, Mm -hmm. the LA Times, things like that. Um, And that's available in the US and Canada. And then they talked about their new Apple Pay initiatives, including Apple Card, which is basically a digital credit card that lives on your phone or other device. Um, That They're doing a partnership with Goldman Sachs and MasterCard, which lets you do everything you would normally do with a credit card that you add to Apple Pay. Mm -hmm. But this is a card that you get through Apple instantly, so it's much easier to get. Um, gives you much more detailed information on your device about your spending habits and you know lets mm-hmm. you tailor all that stuff and, and it's completely private. you know you don't have to worry about your credit card being stolen mm-hmm. and all the other advantages that come with doing things through Apple pay. Um, plus you get rewards back for, you know that based on the num- the business mm-hmm. purchases you make um, and even greater rewards if you are buying things from from Apple using using the card and you can even choose to this seemed almost like gilding the lily but you can even choose to get them like custom make and engrave and mail you a titanium physical credit card yeah. with no number or other information on it it's just literally like a piece of titanium with a chip and your name engraved on it mm-hmm. and maybe there's like a little Apple logo on there or something somewhere there maybe is on an the Apple back logo that reality. wouldn't surprise me mm-hmm. um, so yeah I mean that's and that's not launching till the summer mm-hmm. um, but that seems like the kind of thing that, that like for someone who mainly uses Apple pay for digital purchases yeah. and buys a lot of Apple stuff. Like this yeah. is exactly why they would want you to get it, obviously. Cause yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more convenient for the customer, but obviously they're going to more than make their money back on the, mm-hmm. the deals they've made on this and everything. Um, then the third thing was, what was the third thing? The TV thing was last. What was the third thing? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I was on baby duty at the time. Um, let me see. It's oh, that's right. Um, ap- with... Apple
0: Apple Arcade. Oh, so there, we there, were, there were rumors that they were going to do. Oh, and
1: don't forget the magazines.
0: Right. That's what I said. I said that access right. to hundreds of of digital magazines.
1: Yeah, but they started. Sorry, they started out with news and talking about how the news would be differently curated, and then they led. Right, it but, to but the they, magazines. They, all sorry. the
0: curation stuff they've been doing holds true for this as well. But yeah, you can access. You know. Everything from The New Yorker to Car and Driver to People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, us, McLean's, if you're in Canada, all sorts of, you know, video game magazines, health magazines, you know, men's health. I missed the part about...
1: uh, I did miss the the announcement about... games though. So I'm keen Right. To so that's the this. third thing. So
0: th- this is what was rumored. So much as the magazine thing is like a Netflix style subscription, all you can eat to magazines, mm-hmm. this is sort of a game subscription service. So what, what was rumored was that Apple was going to let you pay a set fee per month and get all you can eat access to a selection of games on the app store. Mm-hmm. People weren't quite sure how this was going to work. Were these going to be existing games? Right. That you will now be able to get for free with your subscription. Mm -hmm. Turns out it's not quite that. These are games that Apple is funding Mm -hmm. and producing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they themselves are not making them in the same way that you know. There's not
1: that they're not making all the TV shows. Joe
0: Joe 20th Century Fox that makes all the Fox movies. Like they are they are putting up the money and they are sort of like curating these apps, but they are letting really prominent developers from the both the mobile gaming space and the console gaming space make these apps. And then they are going to live in this, what they call Apple Arcade, which will be a new tab in the App Store. Once you subscribe to this, you will see there all these games that you can download and play for free. They'll never ask, no in-app purchases, mm-hmm. no you know in-app subscriptions or anything. You pay this one set fee and you've got this curated list of games that are made by world-class developers that you can download and play as much as you want. Totally offline, you don't need a constant internet connection so you can use them on a plane. They actually mentioned that specifically because I think they know that a lot of people are frustrated. By mm-hmm. that in modern games, that you need a constant internet connection to be able to play them. And some pretty big names in there, some pretty big developers. The one that stood out to me was Mistwalker Studios, which was founded by Hironobu Sakaguchi, the man who created the Final Fantasy series and directed or produced the first many of those games, left Square Enix and founded it was just Square back then, Squaresoft, I think mm-hmm. it was called back then, founded his own studio to make his own RPGs. None of them have really been big hits, but... Um, He's making a game for this that looked interesting, and there's a bunch of other big developers in there. So these are games that you're only going to be able to get
1: through this through this
0: service. Mm-hmm. But you'll be able to play them as much as you want. There'll be that the, makes a lot more sense. The way that they're doing it, I think that this is Apple. This is this is Apple and game developers expressing um, expressing their distaste for the way the App Store has has evolved for games, where it's all in app purchases. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're as guilty of this as anyone because the kind of games we we like to play on our phones. But you know, it's all in app purchases. Mm-hmm. You know, pay pay a hundred bucks for a chance at getting this thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, or show or show you lots of ads or mm-hmm. or do whatever or or you play. You can only play for five minutes an hour. They need to wait or else you have to pay to. You know right, what I mean? That's that's what, that's what that's yeah. what all the that's what games in the app store have become. Mm-hmm. Whereas what Apple and and developers are as frustrated by this as anyone. I mean, the executives make all the big bucks, but the people that got in. To this business to make games. They don't want to make those kinds of games. They want to make the kinds of games that they remember growing up on, the, the games that were like real experiences, right, you know, yeah. that would excite you mm-hmm. and like inspire you and bring you to tears. And, you know, like mm-hmm. they want to create Final Fantasy VII. They want to create Super Mario 64. They want to create Journey. They want to create the Elder Scrolls, you know. They don't yeah. want to create, you know, Clash of Heroes, Clans, Blitz War, Game of War men, you know. <laughs> so... So these, Did
1: you just make that up? Yeah. Well done.
0: So these are world-class developers making games which are more like indie games, you know, the kind of games that have always been on the App Store, like your Alto's Odyssey yeah. or your, um, what's the one with the, th- the 3D world that you kind of rotate? Oh,
1: I know what you mean. Um, oh, there are a couple of them, but... Uh, you know the uh, one I mean. Yeah, like, yeah. Games like,
0: games like Alto's Odyssey, like there have always been for pay, like you, you pay $5, you own this game. Mm-hmm. We're never going to ask you for anything else. Maybe there'll be like a a downloadable level pack a year from now or whatever if you want more content. But these are like incredibly artistically, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, deliberate Mm
1: -hmm.
0: games, which are meant to be like just a complete experience, a complete by experience by you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of games that developers want to make and the kind of games that Apple wants to promote on the App Store, but there just weren't enough of them because the money wasn't there. Because right. all the games that are making all the money are the Candy Crushes and the Clash of Clans and the games like that. Right. So this is Apple and developers getting together to say don't worry about, you know, don't worry about getting in-app purchases, don't worry about getting you know tracking your you know getting personal information from the players don't worry about all the scammy stuff that you don't want to do anyway we'll we'll give you the money and the money will come from gamers that are paying these whatever it ends up being 10 bucks a month or whatever they actually Mm -hmm. didn't say and so we'll fund you with this just go make a great unique self-contained game experience and put right. it up on our store. You know, yeah. So these are the kind of games that wouldn't have existed before. Mm-hmm. It's not what people were thinking, which is just a bunch of the same kinds of scammy games that are always on the app store. It's just now you get to pay and get them all in one place without having to be scammed you know which is has some value to it but is not really very lofty in terms of its ideals you know so this is this is way more than i think most people were expecting out of this and these games are going to be playable on your ios devices and on the mac and on the apple tv so i think they made it sound like the way they made it sound was a condition for having your game on this service will be that you have to make it work on all of those devices. Yeah. So all of these games should work on the Mac and the Apple TV and iOS. Right. And so it also kind of solves the problem of a lack of really good games on the Mac and the, the Apple and TV. The TV.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So it kind of takes care of all that in one fell swoop. Um, and then the final thing they talked about was their Apple TV Plus initiative, which is sort of, t- sort of three things. It's a completely redesigned TV app that makes it easier to find certain things and access your iTunes purchases and a bunch of other things it's a new initiative called Apple TV channels which is basically a way of subscribing to other services like Showtime, HBO Stars within the TV app. Okay, cool. Um, so you the way it works now is like We
1: were asking for that a while ago, weren't we? We were like, oh, this would be a really good thing, but no, you have to separately subscribe at
0: Well, the the, the TV the, app will pro- right now right. Se- promotes other services like HBO, but what happens when you click on one of those is it takes you to the app store You have to download that separate app right and then things you watch there. Yes They will appear in the TV app, but you still have to have this separate app there, right? Whereas this all the way this works is if you say yes I want to add Showtime you agree to pay whatever it is ten bucks a month for Showtime and then all that content from Showtime just appears in your TV mm-hmm. app accessible and searchable just like everything else right and it is completely invisible to you whether it's coming from the iTunes store or Showtime or HBO or whatever right. whatever you subscribe to just populates there and it's yep. all seamlessly place, together yeah. you know um and so that's you know that's that's interesting but then the the big thing the thing that people were sort of assuming would be the um
1: massive unveiling
0: the big deal of the show and and running time wise at least turned out to, to be that is the unveiling of their Whatever I guess they, what that. they called them was the Apple TV Plus Originals, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. I think that's actually what they called them, which are the original TV show content that they've been gearing up for for a couple of years now.
1: Hulu they, set the precedent for that. Hulu Originals is where, for example, we watch um, Runaways.
0: Well, I mean, Hulu did have some of the earliest originals. I remember there was one, I think it was called Battleground, and it was like a, a drama about elections or something. But, I mean, I think the, the one that people... Remember, is really putting streaming service originals on the map was House of Cards on Netflix. That was the first one I really right. remember Netflix people talking originals. about. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
0: And then obviously they're everywhere now. I mean, everything right. from Star Trek Discovery to Runaways and probably the majority, young, all the DC Universe stuff. Like literally half the shows we watch now, and for a lot of people, it's a hundred percent of the shows they watch. But for us, like half the shows we watch only exist on streaming services. And so this, right. this is Apple's bid to get into that area. And of course, they pitched it as. And I'm not not trying to say that they were being disingenuous about this. I think they actually believe it. Much like with funding um, great game makers to make great artistically mm-hmm. valid games, they mm-hmm. want to they want to fund great. filmmakers and and, and storytellers yeah. to make great content. Now, I, th- I think that you know, of course, they're they're telling their side of the story. I mean, with game makers, they've got it. The the pitch is uh, is a lot more factual in that yeah, without this Apple Arcade thing, there really is no way to sell a great game on iOS You know, without mm-hmm. scamming in-app purchases and stuff and make your money back. Where there are no shortage of places. If you want to create a great TV show right now, there's more venues for that than there ever have been, mm-hmm. right? And it's not like Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon were hurting for a network that would... Except their TV show pitch, right? Like they, they could have gotten their show on Netflix or Hulu or wherever they wanted, right? right? It's not like Apple is plucking young up-and-coming indie filmmakers, at least so it would seem so far, mm-hmm. to create shows for their service. They're tapping huge that stars yeah. who could have gotten any show they ever wanted on any service by snapping right. their fingers. Mm-hmm. So yes, they are they are empowering people to tell new stories, but those people weren't lacking for power to begin with. So <laughs> it's it's a little you know, but it is what it is. They wanted to do this TV service. Um,
1: I think they wanted to draw people in by saying, look, we're not offering something that, you know, like a couple Emerson graduates, you know, are are doing this for next to no money and we're going to put it on the screening service and it's encouraging new creators. That's cool. No, they're saying these are quality, quality stories by professionals who have been doing this for a while and you will get your money's worth. Yeah,
0: but when they when they sell, when they talk about empowering journalists, that's valid because without services like this, exactly. newspaper and magazine journalism might not last for very much longer. Right. When this I talk about empowering game makers, yeah. mobile game makers haven't had a way to make the kind of games they want for years so far, and so that's, that's, yeah. that's a truthful pitch. I'm just saying when it comes to people making TV shows, there's way more options now than ever before in history for people to make TV shows, both for big stars right. and for indie people mm-hmm. who can... Create their own show. What is a show really? And put it on YouTube or whatever, and get millions of people right. overnight for mm-hmm. almost zero money. Yep. So there were not these these were these creators were not people that were that were lacking an avenue for artistic expression before. Right. Jason Momoa was like, "Man, I really want to do a TV series, but nobody will have <laughs> me." You know, it's just that's not a conversation that was I know, happening. I know. Um, so I feel like this is one place where you could maybe ding them for for being a little. Little Maybe, loftier than they I, had I to be. I also
1: feel like it could be an opportunity for this service to provide um, to to. New people as well, like I can imagine them having a program where a finite set of their budget goes to investing in new talent in unknowns.
0: Well, that may be may be the case eventually. It just it doesn't seem like it's the case now. But no. I will say that the, the two things to to sort of counter what I just said. One is that I think that the, so two ways in which I think that their their pitch was more genuine in its its ambitions was one and Oprah really hammered this home, is the reach that this platform allows artists. Like there's over a billion active iOS devices or Apple devices out there. If Jason Momoa had done a series on Netflix, yeah, a lot of people would have watched it, but Mm -hmm. this allows artists to put their content in a... In front of as many people as possible, as seamlessly as possible, because every because everybody has at least access to an Apple device of something. Not everybody, mm-hmm. but you know, Mostly to a rough everybody. approximation in the developed world, pretty much everybody has or could easily get mm-hmm. an Apple device, and the thing is right there, built into the phone, the TV app. Right, right. that's something that Netflix doesn't doesn't really offer. And two, I feel like the um, the mission statement of the shows, especially when you look at um, when you look at like the 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 stuff they're doing with Oprah or with Sesame Workshop, right. I think that that Apple is saying this is the kind of um the kind of feel we want for our shows. This is the kind of aspirations we want our shows to have. You know, yeah. we want them to. Too, or, or the show that, I, I no, don't forget, the, I can't remember the name of the guy, but he did The Big Sick, um, the, oh, um, the, the fellow who was born in Pakistan and moved to Iowa or wherever it was. his uh, Camille Kumail something? Nan- something Nan- like that.
1: I'm so bad. I'm
0: But when you look at his Nanjani, show, which is about h- highlighting oh. immigrant stories in America, when you look at yeah. the Sesame Workshop show, which is a children's show through the lens of um, coding and programming, it would seem. Yeah. Um, when you look at the stuff that Oprah's doing, which are highlighting depression and mental illness and inspiring people to read and so on or even the Jason Momoa series which although it's probably going to be like a a fairly straightforward actiony sci-fi fantasy series is about you know is sort of challenging people to think about what would it be like to be blind or whatever like Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like each of the shows in their own maybe not so much the Jennifer Aniston morning show thing although even then they got a bit of like like women in the workplace yes, traditional a little bit
1: of discussion about that. Yeah. I, I mean, feel like they,
0: each each of the shows in their own way is is trying to at least, and we'll see whether they live up to this, but is trying to um, speak to some aspect of the human condition, or modern life, or mm-hmm. you know, living in America, or whatever Society. you know. What I mean? That that yeah. that like, what is what is the high-minded ideal of Fuller House on Netflix? Right, there isn't really one. It's a <laughs> no. it's a cash in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and whether the shows end up being good or bad, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But I feel like that's that's one thing that they can say that at least uh, they that they want the shows that on this for it. Yeah. platform to at least have an, an ambition to them. Message. You know, yeah. that that you wouldn't necessarily get when you look at and someone just said this recently, because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts about this stuff, but someone said recently about um about Netflix that Netflix is like Encyclopedia Britannica. Like it doesn't have a tone, it doesn't have a mission statement, it doesn't have <laughs> a feel. Like what is what is the feel of a Netflix show? There isn't one. It's everything. It's like everything right. is there, yeah. right? Whereas whereas other people want like The people that are going to be creating Disney Plus, they want Disney Plus to have a feel to it. And you can very well imagine what that would be is that it's going to be the classic Disney content and Marvel and Star Wars stuff. And all Mm -hmm. of that kind of feels like it's of a piece, or can be made to feel that way, you know? Right. Same with the Warner, you know, Warner Media is coming up with their own streaming service, it's going to have a classic Warner Brothers content in there, plus, you know, presumably a lot of DC comic stuff, and you can see how that will have sort of a feel to it. The Apple stuff feels like it's going to have a feel to it, in the right. way that, say, Hulu or Netflix or even CBS All Access, which right now they've got Star Trek Discovery and um, that spin-off of The Good Wife, and those two shows don't really have much of a common feel to them, I would imagine, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, we'll see if it succeeds or fails, but at least, you know, it does seem ambitious. And certainly they pulled out all the stops. Like they had Steven Spielberg, J.J. Abrams, and Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, um, Steve Carell, Oprah Winfrey, you know, a bunch of other people, Jason Momoa, Alfred Woodard. All these people were on stage and then they showed a ton of other names and they showed a photo like, oh, there's Brie Larson and Chris Evans Mm -hmm. and there's Josh Gad and there's, you know what I mean? So they're not lacking for talent, certainly. So... we'll we'll see how it is but it's certainly and so that's coming this fall Mm -hmm. so I imagine this new Apple TV app and the services that it provides will be part of iOS 13 when it rolls out in the fall I would imagine the only thing we got today was the Apple News Plus Mm -hmm. service which launched with 12.2 which is available today But the Apple credit card thing and the gaming thing are Mm -hmm. later this, are are late summer or fall, and then the TV thing is fall. Yep. So we didn't actually get a lot, and we didn't get pricing for a lot of these things either, I should mention. We didn't get pricing for the gaming thing, we didn't get pricing for the uh, TV service. Right. And we did get what details the... we got about the credit card thing are sort of big picture stuff. Like this is the amount of money you'll get back or whatever. But I imagine there's a ton of small print on the website that really goes into yeah. a lot more. We didn't get a lot of detail they in the presentation did... about that either. Well, they
1: did, uh, at least they enumerated the fact that they're trying to address the fact that everything is really complicated and then they're trying to inspire people to be more financially aware and also financially healthy. That was their whole thing about it as well is that they're, they're, they're acknowledging that Real credit card things are incredibly complicated, and um, if you're not paying attention to, you know, the fact that the minimum payments required by most credit cards are actually designed to keep you in debt, then you could easily fall down a rabbit hole. And if you don't, you know, they're 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 actually really conscientious. I liked the presentation about that because um, they they put into thought about this is a way that you can view your finances. Um, and view a payment plan that will be good for you and bad for you. And they had color coding on a wheel. They said they they give you real-time calculation for how much you owe, how much your pin- payment should be so that you don't fa- fall lower into debt. Um, and, um, you know, what the ideal is to be able to pay off any debts you do have. Um, like, they, they they put more thought into it than... Just a regular credit card, and not only that, but like they objectively have um, no fees, where a whole bunch of banks would charge fees. So they're trying to make uh, it—I don't know—just better. Well, that's that's always been
0: what they've tried to do, at least. Whether they've always succeeded or not is another question. But this what they've always tried to do is to empower the average person to be able to do more with technology.
1: I don't think we're going to get too much. I mean I know obviously there's going to be a lot of fine print but I don't think it's going to be like the inundation of paperwork that comes with getting a credit no, card. No by
0: by very virtue of the fact that you can only sign up for it and and yeah. and control it on your device they they literally cannot inundate you with paperwork. I, know. I mean I guess Apple has a billing address they could sh- they could send a stack of papers to but You
1: know <laughs> You know what I'm saying by that though uh, that that there's not going to be a lot of fine print because like with no discussions of fees no like, they're not going to say, oh, it's free for, there's no fees for one year, and then after that it's 12%, and then after that it's 42% or whatever. <laughs> um, no tricks, like, it's just going to be, you know, the low cost of whatever, and then that's all. They're not going to try to sneak things by you. And I think that's really nice as well. As well as, like, they, it. like I said, I really appreciated that they had, um, just a breakdown of here's what it is here's how much you got back here is how much you owe um and you know here's a way that you can pay it off and they even introduced something cool like where credit cards usually have like a monthly payment um you can set your schedule yourself almost within a you know within a range of options you can say okay how about bi-weekly payments to keep my head above water and try to work towards um a debt-free situation you know and that's really cool of them as well like that they that they have the flexibility but they also found a um a way to make that happen for people and that's really awesome i just think that's great so i don't know it's an it's an exciting prospect Mm -hmm. so that's really cool
0: that's it for the news. That
1: was a great bit of news. So, yeah, today's Apple Day, so it's a lot of news.
0: So what was your comic of the week?
1: <laughs> so this week, um, I well, I did not relinquish my choice of last week, even though we didn't record last week, so I'm going to mention two comics. Last time, uh, last week, I would have picked Catwoman number nine because I love a good heist and it was so well done that I I just kind of sat with it for a moment in awe of the talent of the writing mind that can come up with such a clever one-off issue heist surrounding, you know, Catwoman sort of takes umbrage with somebody's stolen bracelet and goes on a heist to make <laughs> to make a criminal boss's uh, life more miserable and a cop's life slightly better and also, you know, get justice for the person whose bracelet was stolen in the first place and also a little something for herself, and I just really enjoyed the complexity of it and the wittiness with which it was executed. So I had fun with that one, and I could not say nothing about it. And then this week we read a few comics as well, and I chose Naomi, number three. This issue continues to be so amazing. This this, this series is really awesome, and we learn a little bit more about the Thanagarian car mechanic who is has been watching over D, And we also find out her parents' origin, or at least a part of it, because her father takes her to a cave. And again, I really like their interactions and conversations. It's so homey and real and uh, three-dimensional. It's not like, like I said last time, it's not like you have the protagonist um, sort of you know walking against the grain and she has to deal with her two-dimensional flat character portrayals of parents who exist for the purpose of being in her way you know no these are real people who <laughs> like he said in the in the issue this time i changed your diapers i watched you grow i helped you for the last 17 years what so i could kill you in a cave <laughs> come on now no he takes her and he shows her a spaceship and she says is this the spaceship you found me in <gasps> No, it's not. Oh, it's just getting so exciting, and I don't want to spoil too too much. But um, it's just it continues to be awesome, and so I had to pick that for my comic of the week. What about you? What did you pick?
0: So last week I would have picked uh, the Batman Who Laughs, the Grim Knight uh, <laughs> one shot, um, which I which I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's a it's a fairly um, it's not a particularly um, original premise. It's like, oh, what if there was a Batman? What if there's an alternate Batman who was who just kill people all the time and was yeah. and use guns and stuff? Yeah. But from that, um, uh, Scott Snyder and James Tynion kind of create a, it. They they did a, a better job with it. Um, they make him sort of like an interesting character in and of himself. he's not just like he's not just killing people indiscriminately all the mm-hmm. time. He's not like the Punisher. Right. He's he's still Batman. He's just Batman that uses like the entire the 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 elevator pitch was a what if. Batman's... What if there was a Batman who basically used Gotham City as a weapon to kill people? So he, he can set off... He knows the entire city and, like, every part of mm-hmm. the electrical grid. So mm-hmm. he can, like, set off explosions in coordinated places when he knows you're going to be there to to kill you or whatever. And mm-hmm. he uses... The Wayne Enterprises technology to, you know, the, you see a guy about to mug a family and he's just instantly goes down because some satellite mm-hmm. or drone or whatever has just shot him through the head and he falls down dead. And the, the people are like, they kind of have to, like that Twilight Zone yes. episode. like it's,
1: Smile and say thank it's you. It's good yeah. that Bart did
0: that. It's very, very good, right? So they yeah. have to like smile for the, like, oh, Batman saved us, honey. Remember to smile, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, but the the part that really ties it together is the whole Gordon thing where you see it's it's yeah. it's the Grim Knight, as he's called. although that's a little... Uh, that part's a little corny is that this is I guess what he calls himself and what everybody knows to call him just so they're not because he's Batman Yeah, but it's like oh everybody needs to call him something different so we don't because you can't just call everybody Batman right? right? realistically everybody is Batman in this story but you know what I mean you got to call him the Batman who laughs or the Grim Knight or whatever so we know who we're talking about yeah but Gordon
1: was awesome um
0: it's him leading our Gordon through the sewers to a place where we think he's going to kill him or whatever. Um, and it's this guy basically telling Gordon his life story about how he was ultimately taken down by the Jim Gordon on his earth who was so driven and so committed to justice that he wasn't going to let this stand. This guy was turning Gotham into a fascist dystopian police state, basically. Right. And so just through sheer willpower and commitment to doing the right thing, he actually did manage to successfully take this guy down. Mm-hmm. You think, at least I would think, just stereotypically, this can be a story about how this bad man destroyed all opposition to himself including mm-hmm. J- James Gordon but mm-hmm. to have the story the end of the story be no this guy lost to a regular mm-hmm. cop i mm-hmm. know he's coming here like, yeah. you, you would think that that would diminish him, but it kind of humanizes him in an interesting way. Like, even even a Batman who's willing to do all these things mm-hmm. still wasn't enough to stop Commissioner Gordon. Yeah, you know, doing the they, right thing. And yeah. they, had the, they had little moments in there. Like, they had him saying, like, we're bringing him in by the book. We have to show him that our way works kind of thing, which is the what yes. he said to Batman in the killing joke, right? When yeah. even after Joker had shot Barbara and tortured him. Um And then the moment at the end where the the Grim Knight is saying to Gordon, you're nothing like the Gordon. I know you're too soft. You wouldn't be able to make the the same decisions. And Gordon's like, if that's what you think, you better kill me now. Because if you let me live, I guarantee you, I I will go just as far as that other Gordon did. Like I can tell from your story, Mm -hmm. he and I are the same man. So if you don't don't think I'm going to, if you think I'm not going to stop at nothing to stop you, just like he did, you better kill me now, basically. So Mm -hmm. it was a great Gordon moment too. Because we've never seen him have to go that far. Right. But... You know, from the story, we kind of think that he, we kind of know that he can. It's not really surprising that he could either. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was great. But uh, the one I picked from this week was Justice League number 20. Nice. Because I'm a sucker for a good, I guess they're both kind of alternate Earth stories in a way. You know, our Justice League gets taken to this, um, quote,
1: sixth dimension. uh, Sixth dimension,
0: but it's also like a a possible future world um, where it's decades in the future and, and the, the, um, the whole collapse of the multiverse into the abyss and the total and the totality and all this, like it happened, but it all worked out. And so now the conflict between the cosmic balance between justice and doom has been resolved. And Mm -hmm. it's like, everything is pure justice and earth is like this shining white utopia. And the justice league is like this generational team of older, older members and some Mm -hmm. younger members. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them have had kids and like the, 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 you know, Wonder, older Wonder Woman takes current takes our Wonder Woman to Themyscira, and it's become this place of of learning and knowledge and disseminating like this universal language for everyone to share yeah. to increase you know the bonds between. Nobody men and remembers so on.
1: Esperanto. I I remember that part very clearly. I was like, nobody remembers Esperanto. That was supposed to be the the universal language with no a language with no exceptions. It was. Awesome. Anyway.
0: And they take Green Lantern and Flash to, was it Star Labs or something? Um, and they showed them that, oh, this is where we basically manipulate. This is where we collapse hypertime mm-hmm. to create like, um,
1: to collapse like
0: potentiality down into one definitive mm-hmm. moment that actually happens. And we create new worlds in the multiverse here. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not like it sounds like oh wait a minute this is like verging on supervillain territory like yeah, wait you're determining which li- which worlds are going to live and how and where but it's all done like more like they're they're encouraging a garden to grow uh-huh. more than it is that they're doing anything evil right and flash is like oh it all worked out like we used to worry about mani- about manipulating the time stream and messing with hyper time in alternate dimensions but now but now it's totally fine like we can go we can go to the future go to the past and everything just works out because mm-hmm. you know we've we've solved all these problems and everything and we can create new worlds and we can determine exactly where, and, I gotta tell you, where in the multiverse they should be for maximum, you know, to their benefit and everything.
1: To any fellow comic book readers who were in my boat, know that you are not alone. That one was a little over my head. I had trouble understanding that concept. The, he was standing in a giant room and talking about all that, and I understood, but I just couldn't wrap my brain. Does well, the thing right? about Hi- Hi-
0: hypertime is the idea that all... It's, it's different than alternate Earth. It's like that because it's like it's it's one time. <laughs> it's, it's a timeline that diverges as opposed to like discrete alternate Earths that are all happening simultaneously. But okay. hypertime is the idea that like all like, there's a there's a it's like it's like time is a river and every time a choice is made or uh-huh. an event happens a new a new tributary from that river is created where the opposite choice so was made or it whatever right
1: branches off
0: so it, there's there's an S- infinite number of branches but sometimes those branches can like with a river can Concur. rejoin the main river sure. and that's why sometimes continuity changes is because a change that branched off from the main Y- the main yeah. timeline sometimes converges again and events are changed or mixed you know and that's why I'll, you know like this is this oh, was Mark you. Wade's idea of creating it of explaining why sometimes comic book continuity changes and how you can still have infinite possibilities out there even when the multiverse didn't exist which it didn't in the in the late 90s early 2000s It's, it's supposed to be like this different but complementary concept to the to the all infinite so the so the what,
1: future flash in that giant room was doing what exactly
0: well it, because hypertime is the idea Use that the river all, all potential all potential potential it's like forcing the river forcing the infinite divergent tributaries of a river to to
1: reconverge to to
0: reconverge again at a point taking all potentialities forcing them to converge into one definitive moment Uh that is not a potentiality but is an actuality and then taking that and using it as like a seed to grow a new earth basically so they're like oh we you know the we feel like the multiverse could use an earth where everybody is an ape (laughs) <laughs> we'll uh, we'll force hypertime to converge onto that possibility, and right. then we'll just pluck it out, plant it over here in,
1: and there in go, the multiverse, and
0: we'll let it and we'll nurture it and let it grow there. You know, that they're they're basically taking on this role of like cosmic gardeners, basically. That's cool. So it's a very highfalutin, you know, Grant Morrison-esque oh, type I, concept. Yeah. But
1: That's how it felt when it's, I was. It's like it. creating,
0: it's like the whole part light is both a particle and a wave thing. Or it's like the uncertainty principle, right? Like there's sometimes you 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 force something. <laughs> You force something to attain a certain state simply by observing it. You you collapse potentialities down into one measurable fact, uh-huh. right? Yeah, that's the qu- the whole theory of quantum mm-hmm. entanglement and uncertainty and everything is that a bunch of things are equally possible and and they are all true. It's not that they're all possible; they are all true. Yep. Right. There yep. are multiple truths that are contradictory. Right. And when you observe it, you force only one of those truths to be to be true and observable, and the rest are now no longer true. But it's not like you didn't know which one was true before you observed it. They were all true before you observed it. And when you observe it, now only one of them is true. That's that's quantum theory. Right. So that's basically what they're talking about. They were forcing all, all potential timelines are true, and they kind of like, you know— <laughs> they kind of like take a laser scalpel to it or something you know what I mean or force right. it in some way like collapse down all the potentialities into one actuality and then right. just like create a new earth from that and in so doing they could create earths that are you know whatever they want basically um, so I don't know th- those are kind of crazy concepts but that's what I enjoyed I- I'm a sucker for like a good possible future alternate earth thing mm-hmm. and the design work by Jorge Jimenez the new the new costumes oh, yeah, like cool. John Stewart's a white lantern nobody ever really remarks upon it Flash is kind of vibrating with the um, the physicality of multiple flashes at once. Did you notice that? Like, he kind of looks yes, like yes. he's probably Barry. But then you see, like, after sort images of, of Wally and Wally so on, like, there, yeah. uh, coming off of him. Superman's got this cool white and gold costume and beard. Batman is actually Dick Grayson. Wonder Woman's got, like, a robot arm. Yeah. Fla- uh, Hot Girl and John are there. But they've got cool new looks. And they've got, like, a, a son yeah, yeah. who's, like, kind of creepy and got this, like, weird affectation about him. You know, like, it, it's just a cool alternate world Concept, you know, like I, I, would like to read a whole series. I it a girl, that, I don't know. Shane sounds like a boy's name to me. Oh, maybe I thought they said it was their son. Anyway, I would, I would, even though the whole point of this place is that everything is perfect and nothing bad happens. Sure. So I'm not quite sure how you would tell like yeah. a six-issue miniseries about it because it would just be everybody like, "Man, isn't it great to live in a world where we don't have any problems deedee anymore?" Deedee I still want to see more stories about it. I didn't even know. I'm sure that now we're going to get revealed that they're actually secretly evil or something like the well, kid was saying something that John and Kendra and we but see don't the,
1: you remember at the end when they No, I know that's what Superman I'm saying. Superman went back well, to Well, that doesn't
0: mean they're all evil. It just might mean that That
1: the Superman he, is
0: He's evil or someone's manipulating him or Do you or we,
1: remember that this is having to do with the sixth dimension? And right. so we Still I still need answers on that. No, so, I know. And and on top of that, of course, the real Superman is actually trapped on a universe designed to kill him. I know,
0: but it doesn't necessarily mean that all these people are evil. It mm-hmm. just might mean that they're being manipulated or this is a false reality or some aspects of it are false. We don't know. Right. But I, I would still like to see, I would like to see more stories about this world as it was presented mm-hmm. and not what it might secretly turn out to be, right. shockingly, you Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I think it's just a cool concept Number for 10 world. will
1: shock you. Yeah.
0: So should we move on to your pop quiz? I'm ready. So I guess I should probably stop calling it that. But this week, in in accordance with our recent trend of ranking things, ah. and as teased in our last episode, I thought we, thought we would rank the original cast Star Trek movies.
1: The original? Oh, I didn't study.
0: So to remind you what those are, <laughs> well, Thanks. first of all, how many of them can you name? None. You can't I, name any of the original cast Star I Trek think movies?
1: Maybe, maybe the Journey Home.
0: Uh, the Voyage Home.
1: See, I can't.
0: You said that, a and it was a all syn- I could think of. Synonym. Right? Yeah. But what's the one that everybody raves about? Star Trek 2?
1: Undiscovered Country?
0: No, that's... Well, that is a movie. That's six, though, not two. Okay, I'll run through the list. So you got The Motion Picture, <laughs> The Wrath of Khan, Ooh. The Search for Spock, uh-huh. The Voyage Home, The Final Frontier, and The Undiscovered I Country. I forgot The search, of, search for Spock.
1: I forgot that one.
0: Um, yeah, okay. So what would be your number... So go ahead, rank them.
1: <laughs> um, Wales, Khan... Spock, Spock.
0: Why? Do you, why did you just list Spock twice?
1: Because he disappeared in one and reappeared in another.
0: Well, he died in Wrath of Khan. And spoilers for thirty-year-old movies, by the way. He died of Wrath and Khan, and they came back and searched for Spock. So you can't just say Spock twice, especially since you already said Khan. So I'm not quite sure what you're. Okay. So all right. Use well, the whole of... use the whole names.
1: But I don't remember them again.
0: <laughs> okay, well, look at the screen if you have to.
1: Okay. Well, the um. Now, you know, looking at the names, guess what? Doesn't help. Okay. So I'm going to so tell you again. Whales, a.k.a. Nuclear whistles. Right. <laughs> then Wrath of Khan. Okay. Then when they um, find Spock, because that was great. Okay. Then um, um, I don't remember the others. So they all rank in fourth place.
0: Okay, well this is objectively wrong because you put the search for Spock over the undiscovered country. The undiscovered country was was the fu- well, the <laughs> undiscovered underco- That was the last movie. That was the one where um the the Klingon moon explodes and they have to try to make peace with the Klingons, but then High Chancellor David Warner is assassinated. Mm-hmm and Kirk and McCoy are sent to Rurapente, and they have to stop the assassination attempt on the Federation president at the end at Kittimer. Do you remember that one? Oh, There's a whole mystery yeah. about who, who assassinated Chancellor Gorkhan, right. and they have to search for the mag boots and all, the, all over the ship. Do you remember? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: that that was 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 one, that, one. that was the other one that was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who did Wrath of Khan. So people generally say that two and six are probably the best, because people are crazy about Nicholas Meyer. And then people love four also. Well, Which is I, a voyage home? So those—that's why people but say I love that the four even above never, all of them. So, so, but I'm saying, so. the, saying the search for the search for Spock was okay, but I don't. It was to me, it was not as good as the undiscovered country. Search for Spock okay. was, so was serviceable, with, but, and it, you know, there were good moments in there, but it was probably the sort of cheapest feeling of the movies, and it didn't really, it didn't really feel epic. It was just like let's fight a, a after the Wrath of Khan. It's like oh, let's fight a couple of random Klingons on this planet to save Spock who's going through adolescence like it just it didn't feel yeah. like, epic to me it it felt like a, a TV movie almost which okay. is the common criticism that's, of it. That's fair. I still I still like a lot about it but it's not it's not the undiscovered country for me
1: yeah no I didn't remember anything about the undiscovered country so yeah I don't know I think I'd have to rank the way everybody else ranks just because
0: so four then what four two six
1: no four six two
0: Undiscovered country above Wrath of Khan. Definitely. And then, and then what? Then three, five, one.
1: Yeah. Wonder. Five.
0: Of the final frontier was the one that William Shatner directed. It's the one that starts with them with with Kirk um, climbing a mountain mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Not a mountain, a, a cliff. Where was he? I don't know. Like some, Somewhere some, in California. It, it, no, it wasn't. It wasn't California. It was. Um, See, I guess, it, was it Yosemite, which was in California? Anyway, he's climbing, climbing a cliff face. But then it goes into the whole thing with it. That's when Spock's half-brother, Cybok, and they they meet God at the end. What would God do with the starship? And then they, they go to the planet right, where right, right. it's like this weird planet that's never referred to before or since, which is like the Romulans, Klingons, and Federation decided to try creating a, liv- a habitable planet together. Uh-huh. But yeah. it all went bad. Yeah. And that, I don't know. like that, That's not a very memorable not a very memorable movie. So the question of whether a lot of people like one, even though one really has a languid one pace. Off,
1: but it was so slow. At least it has
0: artistic ambitions, though. Like it, it was trying, there was trying to do like a two thousand and one thing. It was a different. It was not what most people wanted in a big budget theatrical Star Trek release. Yeah. But at least it was unique. Three and five just feel like warmed over TV show episodes yeah. to me. At least one was big budget. Awesome visual effects, interesting story, interesting themes, okay. interesting development for Spock and for Kirk and okay. for the new characters, Ilea okay. and
1: uh, Blowdry
0: there. And what was the <laughs> name of Decker? Commander Decker, right? Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I'd have... So, so for my part, yeah, I don't know. I have trouble deciding between the even-numbered ones. I, I, I love Wrath of Khan, but not as much as most other people do. I think I would have to put Voyage Home at the top I'm not sure I could decide between Wrath of Khan and Undiscovered Country. I think they'd, they'd probably be equal for me. And then probably Search for Spock, which I which I do really like, even though I bagged on it. And mm-hmm. then probably The Motion Picture, which at least was ambitious. And then I'd have to put The Final one Frontier five, at the bottom. Yeah. I'd have to put Final Frontier one, at the bottom. Five is on
1: the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. I could be talked into putting five on the bottom. But I just, I just it, think... You're right. One just, had more...
0: I just think that The Voyage Home was, like, pound for pound, just the most fun you can have watching a Star Trek movie. Yeah, I think that, absolutely. I think that the, the to Polaris. the cre- to the credit of 2 and 6, although they are very... You
1: remember d- where we parked.
0: To the credit of 2 and 6, even though they're very dramatic stories with, like, death and sacrifice and murder and revenge, they're still fun. Like, Wrath of Khan is still a fun movie, even though Spock dies at the end. The Undiscovered Country is still a fun movie. Like, the people involved are having fun. There's... there's you know, there's entertaining, fun things that are happening. Yep. There's memorable, funny lines, even though it's a dark, mm-hmm. dramatic story about assassination and political intrigue and Glasnost and all these other things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, but that, that's the the balance that a Star Trek movie should have. But four is just a comedy, basically. Yep. And so I was thinking about this earlier because I knew we were going to be talking about this. Is four? Is Star Trek four the only success? On, the only time that Star Trek set out to do a pure comedy and succeeded? There are definitely a lot of com- funny, comedic moments in Star Trek. And there are and there are up to other times when Star Trek has tried to be purely comedic, but I would argue largely failed, with the possible exception of the Trouble with Tribbles.
1: That was hilarious.
0: Is Star Trek IV the only time that, that that Star Trek has successfully done a pure comedy?
1: No, I can't think of what you're talking about. As in, like it tried to be funny and failed. I don't.
0: There are there are other episodes of the original series and like early oh, well, early he- Next Gen and Voyager. Would... Where they, where they were trying to do like, f- they were trying to be funny, but Star Trek, I don't know, Star Trek is, I love Star Trek, but Star Trek is like your dad's sci-fi show, right? Like, there as, until Discovery, Star Trek, like 90s Star Trek feels like a completely different era, right? It feels like a, an older era of sci-fi, like a quainter era of sci-fi. When start when 90s, like Next Gen or, or Voyager, you know what? Deep Space Nine did some good comedy, though. Oh, That's true. Oh, God, of course. They, they, like the when they went back to the Tribbles episode. Yeah. So I guess maybe, uh, maybe uh, mainly, mainly I'm just thinking of like TOS, TOS and Next Gen and Voyager. To me, when when Star Trek tries to be funny, a lot of times it ends up kind of feeling like like a dad joke, like you know, like your dad trying to be funny and everybody else kind of groaning or rolling their eyes. I
1: don't agree with you. I think a lot of the time when Star Trek sets out to be usually they don't have full episodes where they're trying to be funny, you know? You right. listed the ones that were funny and succeeded. But when
0: they do, a lot of times it's like, it's a little embarrassing. Like when they did, the, like even Deep Space Nine, when they tried to do the funny episode where Quark has to become a woman, like that oh, was that just was kind of, of like, of failure, yeah. yeah. And, and Voyager would try to do like, oh, let's do a funny episode on the holodeck or whatever. And a lot of times they were just like...
1: You're going to have to be more specific. Well, They'd the Captain the captain
0: time. Proton stuff was was fun, but I'm not sure it was as successful as they thought it was when they kept going back to the Captain Proton well. Do you remember what I'm talking about?
1: Um... Yeah, well, I mean, I with remember Ka- the Captain Proctor. I but was liked it. The
0: Bride of Chaotica and everything. That was awesome. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. She's the
1: Spider Queen. But, but
0: it was. It was cool. also. A, it was also a little corny. You know what I mean? Like Star Trek. It was humor, meant to be. I, yeah, I don't know, but I think that I don't know. Star Trek humor is kind of funny in like a like a dad joke kind of way most of the time to me. But Star Trek Four, I feel like, is legitimately funny. Like there's legitimately that was,
1: that was hilarious. Le- but that was the premises were different.
0: Legitimately funny character situations. Legitimately funny physical humor. Legitimately funny lines and reactions and character banter like Star Trek has never really had really really funny banter in it before
1: I disagree well
0: not like you know like snappy snappy old-time Hollywood or Joss Whedon style banter you know like Star Trek 4 has (laughs)
1: I must protest. We are not. Mar- I am yeah, not that's a like merry man.
0: One funny line.
1: No, that entire episode was awesome. Uh,
0: I like that episode, that but a lot of it is kind is of like. But that's but that's a, it's like maybe we just maybe it's just because we like <laughs> like I like that kind of humor too. But I just I know that Star Trek has a reputation for having that sort of like it's it's kind of like dad humor. You know, it's a, it's a bunch of like fifty year old men in a Hollywood writers room trying to trying to come up with who are not comedy writers trying to infuse comedy into their into their sci-fi series. You know, and a lot of times it kind of feels like that. Where Star Trek IV, for whatever reason, even though it's a lot of the same people working on it, felt like they actually succeeded in having like creating an actually funny comedy. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Um so yeah. So I that, think
1: that's an unfair charge to like against I,
0: I, them. I I find a lot of there's a lot of funny stuff in Star Trek. I just think that and certainly it's 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 even among Star Trek lovers, they have they generally tend to admit that when Star Trek tries to do Humor, like Star Trek, is more is like generally more serious and more deliberate, and Star Wars is like the fun, funny. This, these are like their their roles, you know, their right their stereotypical roles in the in pop culture. Star Trek is like the stodgy, slow one, and Star Wars is the fast, exciting, funny one, you know. And I yeah. to and even though I love both, I uh, to. a to a degree, I would say that that reputation is earned. You know, when you think of the most powerful Star Trek episodes, they tend to be the ones that are deep and thematic and political and serious and talk to the human condition. Whereas when you think of, like, the best Star Wars movies, they tend to be the ones with the most thrilling escapes and exciting space dogfights and and quippiest humor. You know, like, those are those are what you think of, you know? And so I think that the part of the reason why Star Trek IV is so beloved among the fans is, is they try to do something... After three movies of pretty serious mm-hmm. dramatic events, they're like, you know what? Let's just have them. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like the bad news bears. We'll go back in time. They'll be really terrible at being time travelers. Mm-hmm. They won't know how anything works. Yep. You know, like it was brave of it. it was yes. brave of them to, like Leonard Nimoy walks around in a bathrobe. Yep. You know, yeah. being the straight man for two hours. Yeah. Right. Like, it was awesome. Scotty doesn't understand how a computer works. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And but it and yet it works. I don't know. It just it's remarkable that can you Poor imagine
1: off walking around with a Russian accent during the worst time ever to have a Russian accent? Can
0: you imagine <laughs> like it we take it for granted now because it's a movie that's existed for almost as long as we've been alive. But can you imagine anyone trying that now? Can you imagine if if the next Star Wars movie were just Luke, 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 you know, Ray and Finn and Poe? Uh-huh. Like and a fish out of water comedy on some planet, and that was the, that was Star Wars Episode Nine. Instead of being a Star Wars movie, people would lose their minds. Can you imagine if a movie like Star Trek IV were the next Star Wars movie? Yeah, people would not. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if like, the, or, or if I don't know, I'm trying to think of some other. Or if the next James Bond movie, That's well, not a perfect analogy, but can you imagine if? Yeah. But these, you know, if the next James Bond movie was like a sick, was like a rom com. And there were no guns. It was like, "What are you doing?" But can you can you imagine the balls it had to take to make an out and out fish out of water comedy be the next Star Trek movie? Yeah, it's we take it for granted now, but that's insane. It's and it's insane (laughs) that it worked, but it's just insane that they even tried it. Can you imagine if the Force Awakens after thirty years with no new Star Wars movie, or however long it had been, the Force Awakens, and it's just like Luke and Han and Leia, yep, and like you know shipwrecked on some planet? And it
1: failed. Remember the Christmas special.
0: But that was a... That didn't you, try to be comedy. They tried to be that's like heartwarming diff- family or That's different whatever, because that was like a low-budget TV
1: yeah.
0: holiday special cash But this is this yeah. was the next Star Trek movie. This was the next big-budget Star Trek movie, and it made more money than any of the other movies. Right. If, if the next Star Wars movie were, were a ridiculous fish-out-of-water uh, comedy, farce comedy, right. and it made more money than all the other Star Wars movies, you'd right. think you were living in Bizarro World. It's It's insane that they tried it. It's insane that it worked. Yeah. Anyway, um, so our show's this week. So we'll probably take kind of a bird's eye view here because we've got two weeks worth of shows to talk about. Um, But Star Wars Resistance, Star Trek Discovery, Gotham Supergirl, Flash, Black Lightning Arrow, Doom Patrol. Yep. So Star Wars Resistance uh, season finale, I think pretty much went the way that I mean, the question was: Is Tam going to go with the first order or stay with the with, fine? Let the first order have her stupid <laughs> Nazi sympathizer. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't. No, com- I was good. Very it was, torn up about that. Um, uh, it
1: was interesting because I, I did root for Tam to get to her senses and and go side with her friends, but at the same time, I can totally understand her motivations, and it's nice because it sets up. It sets up a lot of interesting things for her character going down the line. And it sets up questions for her to answer when she finds out about Hosni and Prime, which she does not know. And she did not know when she made the decision to to side with them. So I, I appreciated that part of it. um among other things, I really enjoyed the season finale.
0: Yeah, it was it was good. It just felt like uh, pretty much everything that people expected would happen. You know, like they get away from the, the, the station, takes off, goes mm-hmm. into space. They go to join the resistance you know, Tam either does or doesn't go with the first order. That was the question mark. Sometimes you you can Kaz kind of steps up. You know, it's pretty much everything that people expected to happen, happened. It was kind of... I was
1: surprised about Niku. He had some plans that actually went, uh, you know, forward without fail. Yeah. So good for him. Yeah. Because usually he's the bumbling, incompetent, overly honest, sort of playful side character. And now he, he... I mean, he stepped up. He He's a member of the Resistance now, and he is quite good at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good for him.
0: So Star Trek Discovery, so two episodes, Project Daedalus. The same, I, I always said Daedalus. Like, is the, Daedalus. They're saying Daedalus on the show. Is it technically Daedalus? It's, it's
1: Daedalus, yeah, was, when you have the A-E letter combination. Yeah, I
0: know why I've always a said Daedalus. Um, and the Red Angel. So two very different episodes. So the first one, you know, they they, um, they fly up to the Section 31 headquarters, um, they gotta get in there and mm-hmm. destroy control, which is this I don't know. I, I wish they'd set up the control thing a little better because yes, there were references in earlier episodes right. of the season the fact that section thirty one has this computer system called control. But then um, Admiral Cornwell says, Oh yeah, it's pretty as, foreboding as, as, name, as, isn't it? <laughs> as you know, we've got this AI system right. which tells us what to do in every single scenario but then we you know we we, we, we step in a and decide whether elements. yes i know but yeah. but even 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 so the idea that there's this ai that's consulted on every decision major decision the federation makes and we've never heard about it before now i'm yeah. like i really wish you'd set this up at least major in season career, one yeah. if not in if not taking it from some other star trek series because yep. star trek despite all of the things that it it's successful technology predictions and self-fulfilling prophecies like, oh, we're going to have little handheld computers and we're going to have, you know, all these other things. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of the time in which Star Trek was created, was not terrible. And you can't really hold this against them because it was the 60s, but wasn't terribly successful in predicting um, the complete domination of like computers. Right. Like artificial intelligence, even networking. Right. Were nowhere to be seen no. in, in yeah. the original Star Trek series. But. There's something about that that always seemed like well, it fit. Well, that's not
1: true. The artificial intelligence, the concept of a computer with its own sense of self and sentience, that definitely existed. Well, you had, How many times did Kirk trick a computer sure. into blowing well, you himself had, up? You
0: had sentient computers, but that existed in sci-fi but stories a- going back a hundred years.
1: But uh, that's AI.
0: Sure. So that's but the but definition the, of it. But the idea of like... Machine learning, or even like even being able to transmit data wirelessly from one place to another, didn't okay, we? Okay, the like,
1: wireless communication. No, that was that was not conceptualized. But the idea of an evolving learning machine, absolutely, that was, that was. I know,
0: but the the idea, the idea of like network computing and and artificial intelligences and digital assistants and smart devices and the kind of things that we think about now as the modern computing landscape. Like, they were printing things out on, they were talking about computer tapes. They were printing things out on little papers. Uh There was no way of sending, like, oh, we've got, this is the repository of all Federation knowledge. It better not be destroyed. It's like, you don't have a backup of that? Like, backing up, redundancy, being able to transmit data. Like, they're like, oh, here, take these 15 pads. Like, (sighs) why don't you just have one pad that can access all information from a central database? Nobody thought of that, right? Right simple things like that. So and but but things like that despite the fact that it's sort of an accident of history that the reason why those didn't exist in Star Trek is cuz you know the sci-fi right. writers at the time couldn't imagine them. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that it was kind of fit with Star Trek's idea of like a more a very human centric and I don't mean that in like a xenophobic sense. I mean like a very humanist future, mm-hmm. right? Like humans were unaugmented mm-hmm. were they were, you know, they were, you know, healthy. Like, you didn't see, and Discovery's got, like, there was some Starfleet crew member going around in a wheelchair, right? You never saw that in right. the other series. Everyone was very able-bodied and fit and, you know, in their physical prime, you know, you had exceptions, like Geordie was blind, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But humans weren't, like everybody wasn't a cyborg you know you it wasn't the future like you hear people talk about now where oh in the future we're all going to have chips in our heads and we're all just going to sit in our chairs and let the robots do the exploring for us like so, no humans are going out there these are these are pure humans that that have that have found a place for technology as a tool but haven't allowed the technology to subsume them you know right in the way that that a lot of modern pundits and sci fi writers are, are worried about. Like are we all gonna reach the singularity and humans are just gonna become right computers or whatever's gonna happen, right? So but the idea of of now introducing in discovery retroactively, the idea that, oh, there actually is this incredibly intelligent computer system that does actually if not run a lot of the stuff in the Federation, then it at least plays a large role in major Federation decision-making. Mm-hmm. And you do have people like Detmer and like Arium who are cyborgs, mm-hmm. you know, because of injuries they've sustained or whatever. Like, I understand that that's a more realistic future, but part of me kind of misses the idea that humans had decided, they'd drawn a line at some mm-hmm. point, right? Mm-hmm. That human being human means this certain thing. And we believe that humans you know, can do incredible things by themselves and don't need to be augmented with technology. And so we're going to use technology in our ships and our systems or whatever, but we are not going to allow that technology to take anything away from us as people, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's Pollyanna-ish because what are you going to, like if, if your child suffers an injury, are you going to be like, no, don't give him a robotic arm so he can live a rich, full life I because I have this high minded idea of what being a pure human really means, right. right like you would think that was cruel, so it's a more it's a more realistic future and probably a more humane one mm-hmm. in a way, mm-hmm. but do you see what I'm saying? Like part of me misses the idea in Star Trek that that humans hadn't allowed the technology to to subsume them, you know? The idea that, that the idea that technology would be everywhere and part of every aspect of our lives and you can never get away from it because it's going to be in your body and it's going to be in your in your devices and it's going to be in your clothes and it's going to be in the cloud and it's going to be in nano swarms that are in the air you breathe, right? Like that was not the Star Trek future. Technology had a place, but it was separate from people and
1: mm-hmm. it was
0: a tool, right? Mm-hmm. There was no there was no great there was no blurry line between what is a human and what is technology. Like there is in discovery with characters like Detmer and Arium and the AI that apparently is a big part of the Federation. So I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I don't dislike it, but I do feel like it's, it's a, an odd wrinkle to introduce retroactively now. The idea that augmentation and automation and artificial intelligence plays a heretofore unseen, important, crucial role in the Federation and yet is never mentioned. Like, there aren't people like Arium Ever, in any other Star Trek series. The closest yeah, you get true. is someone like Data, mm-hmm. who is a pure android, right. right? There is no indication in any other Star Trek of someone... Like, can I? Can you even think of another character in Star Trek? I guess maybe the closest you could get is Nog. But his leg is... It's, it's always unclear what the deal is with his leg. Right. Does he have, like, a robot leg? Or is it, like, an artificially grown No, it's like organic a, leg? It's never quite made perfectly clear. It's referred to as, like, synthetic it, tissue or something. He called
1: it a prosthetic.
0: Right, but I don't do you think
1: remember... It, all right, look.
0: You're right. No, you're right. I'm not arguing with you, but don't you think that by then the word prosthetic probably means something way more advanced and pro- possibly right, way more so organic? let, me, let than, me finish
1: my thought. Do you remember um, Doctor Who, the spin-off show, the uh, class, right? or Okay. Yeah, so the kid that's who kind who played of what soccer, I pictured. Yes, that's kind of what I pictured Nog has. Yeah. Right, that's what I pictured too. But that but still doesn't have its own sentience, but it is. No,
0: it's, it's not like a sentient leg that well, can control no, them. Like the,
1: and, and to be clear... If you're talking about things that don't have a sentience and don't have any sort of artificial intelligence, then you're you're forgetting Jordy. Jordy has an augmentation; he just wears it on his head, but he has yeah. those things in his. You're right. Brain I mean,
0: that is. The, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being unfair, but to me, to me, you're right. But I, those, maybe I'm I'm making a distinction where I shouldn't be making a distinction. But to me, Jordy was different because this was. He is putting a thing, set aside the little the little blinky things he had on his temples right But you can't so, cuz that's just, how I wear it take for a second let's take let's take this in pieces okay. let's just look at the visor first he puts on the visor in the same way that I would put on glasses Sure. that's not a part of him it's a tool that he chooses to wear now the little things um, on the little things on his temples do are, you
1: choose to wear your glasses, or can you not see without? I could them choose. Sort of, I could
0: choose to not wear glasses. But you'd
1: be walking into walls. My sure, <laughs> but that would be living.
0: That would be living with my. You know what I mean. Yeah. That would be living with my. That would be accepting my disability instead of trying to. You know what I mean. Right. Like, but and the little things in his temples. Yes, they're technology that's in his body, but those are just like contacts for the visor they're not he he doesn't have like a computer in his brain that's interpreting the world for him
1: sorry that's incorrect that's exactly what it's doing it's taking the information that's coming in through the visor and putting it into a form that his brain can understand Yeah, i don't know maybe the fact that the fact that he can take the thing
0: off i don't know i I guess geordie geordie is the exception but we we certainly never see anyone like ariam was like a pure cyborg like you wouldn't call geordie a cyborg
1: i mean sadly no you wouldn't but He's a okay, he's a human on, with on, like an hold artificial
0: on, hold on. prosthesis or something basically.
1: Arium is a different case because she really is a cyber cyborg. Like there are parts of her brains that brain that had to be replaced as part of her augmentation. Yeah. But if we're talking about Detmer, Detmer has a very similar yeah. Pro- Detmer is more like Jordy. Like Jordy. Yeah, I'll yeah. grant
0: you that. I guess I guess it was the one two punch of having someone like Arium on there, and then like I say, this idea that there's this computer system which is apparently like. Partially in charge of federation decision making. Yeah. That I'm like, I don't like that idea. Like Star Trek is very much like people, f- you know, people first. Like we, we, we,
1: how is that? Okay, so the control. So okay. it seems too so, much like on. the control
0: thing. Like control? I don't like too much like Skynet or you know like. Yeah, the, the idea, I mean
1: that name is awful as well. It's but the like, idea that's of like, setting it up to the baby. I think I'll
0: name him Sinestro.
1: I think um, I'll name her Candy. She won't be a stripper at all. Yeah. But no. it's
0: like when you when you think of like what Roddenberry imagined the Federation to be, it's like a bunch of regular people from all sorts of different planets sitting behind a big desk making important, humane decisions, right? right? It wasn't a computer system making the decisions, and then people saying, hmm, should we or should we not accept this computer's recommendation? That's that's removing the human element from the Federation more so than I think Roddenberry would have been comfortable
1: right. with. Well, hmm. so...
0: At least they had them in there saying, we don't just let the computer run things. We decide whether to accept their recommendations or not. But it's still ceding to way more control than mm-hmm. than I would than I'm comfortable with how in a Star is that Trek different. future.
1: okay, but how is that different than all the other Star Treks where they are negotiating, I don't know, like landmines or whatever and the computer has to come up with probable path, uh, safe paths in Voyager when they had to, I don't know, avoid the Borg inter- or something or travel through space according to a plot that somebody else gave them and they took the navigation and they're like, this would take us six months if we did it this way or three months if we did it that way. I mean, that's the same sort of thing, like the computer does the calculation. Calculations and processes, the algorithms and the probabilities. I guess I just I
0: didn't like the way that
1: humans intervene at the end. I I didn't like the the
0: way that it was prioritized. I guess like yes, you can ask a computer plot me the plot me the safest or fastest course through this nebula or whatever, and it can do it. But the way that they framed it in this discovery episode almost made it sound like the computer was was preemptively making recommendations. Mm -hmm. Like it was like it's not like you. It's the difference between you having to ask Siri um, what's the weather like today and having it answer you, mm-hmm. but only interacting with you when you ask it a question, and having sort of ambient computing that is always presenting you with new information. And there, are, you know what I mean. And there are there are things like that that you can get that like they'll pipe up every five minutes mm-hmm. and they'll tell you if the weather is changing, is it likely to rain? Oh, you've got your next appointment coming up. Oh, by the way, I think that you should probably book this flight because it's discounted right now. Mm-hmm. Like those are two very different visions of. Using artificial intelligence in your life, and I think that, I I don't think that I don't think that Roddenberry would have would have liked a future where the decision making was even partially removed from real people mm-hmm. that were that were doing it. You know what I mean? Like it it I don't I don't it doesn't seem as Star Trekky to me. Like I remember the scene in in Deep Space Nine when Bashir and his other augmented friends come up with this. Or so they think. Foolproof future prediction about how the Dominion War is going to go, and it's like right. fact-checked a million ways. And they're like their brains, which are practically computers, based on how smart they are, have predicted this is absolutely how the Dominion War, gonna, war is going to go. And they take it to Cisco, and Cisco's like, "Yeah, it doesn't look very good, does it? But what are you going to do? Give up? I don't think so. We're gonna we're gonna fight." And it's, Bashir yep. goes to O'Brien, and he's like, "Miles, don't you see? Like we're all going to die." And Miles is like, "Yeah, it's doesn't doesn't look good, but you know, you never know. You know, you know
1: Mm-hmm.
0: we." There's always hope, right? And Bashir is like, "What are you thinking?" But then the moral of that story is that you can't, you right. can't predict. Like the human condition is fallible, unpredictable. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, you can't, you can't remove the human element from things because the human right. element will always I find mean, a way to surprise already, you. But yeah. that's the moral of Star Trek. The the moral, the of, Star moral of Star Trek is not Trek, yeah. sometimes make it, let a computer make a lot of the decisions. Maybe for the really important ones, you can chime in too. That's not. That's not the moral of Star Trek. So that kind of bugged me a little bit. Now, if what they're going for here is um, the reason why we haven't heard about control in the future, the reason why nobody's heard of Section 31, and the reason why we've never heard about a big AI that runs the Federation is because everybody decided that was a really bad idea. Mm -hmm. And decades from now or centuries from now, they don't use that stuff anymore. right? right? Maybe that's the story they're telling. But it still seems like it kind of came out of nowhere. You know, for something that was not referenced in Enterprise or the original series or Next Gen, well, at no point we've heard of this computer system. Sure. It seems like it really came out of nowhere.
1: I bet you, I bet you, it. Uh, that's exactly what they're going to be telling us. That's,
0: that's maybe the story that I. But think a lot of a lot of stuff in Discovery, and I do I do really like Discovery. But a lot of stuff in Discovery seems like let's let's take Star Trek, but let's sort of reimagine certain aspects of it to be more in line with what we our current understanding of technology and our current predictions about what technology will be like a a couple hundred years from now. Whereas all other Star Trek was even when it got into the 90s and early 2000s with Enterprise, even when they knew better, right? Like by Enterprise, they knew that the technology of the future wasn't really going to look like it did in TOS. Mm -hmm. But they're like, no, this is what technology is like in Star Trek. And we have to stay true to that, Mm -hmm. even though we kind of know better now that you know the kind of things that were high tech in the 60s are now everyday but we still have to make them seem high tech in enterprise because that's what's established in the canon right? right whereas discovery is like what what was it what was advanced to make things seem advanced in star trek they're extrapolating now from our technology today mm-hmm. as opposed to being true to the technology extrapolations of the 60s which mm-hmm. is what all other star trek has sort of tried to stay true to mm-hmm. that original seed in the 60s Mm -hmm. You know, even though we now know that, yeah, people probably are going to have cybernetic implants and computers are going to run a lot of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's, it seems like now they're sort of recontextualizing Star Trek based on what we have now, Mm -hmm. as opposed to staying true to what it's always been. So it's neither good nor bad. It's just, there are times when I'm like, that. like, it's the, it's the, the canonicity of it that bugs me sometimes. It's like. I don't mind that something like this exists in Star Trek, but if it did, you really think it would have been mentioned before now because it seems like a big deal, you know? Yeah. And so some of that stuff just kind of bothers me because it's just tossed off 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 hand. Yeah, and,
1: I don't know. I It didn't rub me the wrong way because some of it is just kind of classified information. So the people on the lower decks won't know what's going on or who controls what. Maybe, no but that's even worse.
0: Like, as dystopian as it is, is it a giant computer that makes a lot of the decisions in the Federation? It's even worse no, that the average citizen doesn't no, know there's a giant computer making on. all the decisions.
1: Well, yeah, but welcome to Skynet. But... Yeah, that's the, not Star hold Trek. Hold on, I know. But... The admiral's explanation of it was in complete faith that this is this was just meant to be as a tool for advising. In fact, they should have called it advisor instead of control, which was kind of a misnomer on their part. But whatever, that's the story they're telling. So they called a to gentle it gentle helper. They well, yeah, technically, you know, uh, Clippy, Clippy, <laughs> uh, the evolved sentient form of Clippy. But um, they. they, they she had trust in that human layer that part of the process where the human intervened and said okay the 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 admiral said all right these are the recommendations of courses of action but this is what we're going to do and this is why we're going to do it and this is the thing that probably the computer did not put enough weight on when it was making its suggestion and you know toss out what that computer did because it's irrelevant or or it is relevant and we're going to go with that recommendation it feels like the right thing to do like that human layer she had faith in is exactly i don't know the point you know
0: yeah but even even that like so it didn't bother me at all i agree with you but even the idea that this is a story about humans about people thinking they had control of their technology and then the technology goes out of their control Like Star Trek Stay has told again. Star, Star Trek has <laughs> told stories about that before, but they usually that's usually something that happens to other societies, yeah. and then our guys have to come in and clean it up, right? Yeah. The The Federation has always been shown as the, the Federation are made up, and Earth specifically, and Starfleet. These are the guys that know what's what, right? Like we have achieved harmony with our technology. We we it doesn't control us; we control it. You know, we use it as a tool. Like I said, mm-hmm. nowhere I can't think of another example in in Star Trek. When like Earth technology has of its own will or whatever has run amok, has gone out of our control, and we have to stop it. Like yeah. the hubris of humans, Roddenberry conceived that in the future,
1: yeah,
0: we would have we would a technology would have become almost. And of course, it looks doesn't look very invisible to our modern eyes. The '60s technology he had in there with the clicking and the, the tapes can, and, the te- te- and the lights, you know, yeah. but technology would become just a part of our a mundane part of our everyday existence mm-hmm. that we we had mastered. We had mastered the human condition. We had mastered, you know, greed, poverty. Like, we'd overcome all these things. And we've mastered the human condition. We've mastered our technological prowess. We've achieved our peak humanity. And we now go forward with our technological tools that we have complete control over and understand and don't let control us. And we carry our, you know, message of goodwill to the stars. Mm -hmm. It was not a story of, oh, like so many other sci fi stories are, like, you know, Terminator or whatever, like, oh, the hubris of sure. Star, Star Trek has never been about the hubris of mankind. It's about the potential of mankind. Right. And so part of that rubs me the wrong way, too. Like, oh, look what we have wrought has never really been the message of Star Trek as pertains to humans. It's always like, oh, look what the Klingons did to themselves, or oh, look what this society that. Looks like humans, but not really, but just we don't have the money to give them weird foreheads this week, so we're just gonna make them look like humans. They let their technology run amok and they destroyed themselves. Right. But right. and we will use that as a parable ca- to tell us about our tables. modern day twentieth century Earth. But here we see Kirk and his people, they they know what's They're what's what. Way past and so that. we need yeah. to learn to be more like them and less like these people that destroy themselves. Sure. The Starfleet characters were aspirational and the cultures that they would encounter from week to week were cautionary tales often right. you know but presenting the federation is a cautionary tale don't let don't create an AI system that's going to ruin everything right you know and cause the destruction of the entire galaxy so I
1: understand why yeah I, I'm seeing why it bothers you now it's just to me it's like I think it's an inevitability of having technology and giving it uh, hmm, giving it a whole lot of information and processing power, like some form of machine learning is going to inevitably lead well, to... Well, we know
0: that. I mean, it seems inevitable to us now. I guess what I would have done is even... You don't even need the one line... Like, you don't even need the thing in there where Cornwall tells us about the computer that helps run the Federation. I, I think I would have preferred it if it was just, here's a here's a rogue AI that Section yeah. 31 created yep. for their nefarious purposes. Yeah. And they shouldn't have created that because we know that creating like a rogue AI is bad. And it went out of control, and it's causing all these problems, right? Like, because then it's all on them, and we know that they're bad or going to be bad in the future, or whatever, right? Like, we yeah. know Section Thirty-One is up to no good. They tried to, they were going to lobotomize Spock. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They did all this we stuff. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. put it on them. Mm-hmm. Don't be like, oh, by the way, all the Federation diplomats and the Federation president and the Admiralty and everything—they're completely on board with this AI that helps run things, and it's just the Section Thirty-One offshoot of it that went bad. Like mm-hmm. that's too gray for me, you know? Like. I don't. And I say this as someone who loves Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine definitely sort of added some gray area to the Federation by, not the least of which, introducing Section 31. Yeah. And then having all sorts of rogue admiral. Remember you know, the rogue admiral I guy mean, who tried to take control of Earth yeah. by creating the fake martial law thing? Yep. Like They did stuff like that, but you always felt like they were the bad seeds that need to be rooted out. It wasn't endemic to the federation culture, like, oh, we'll let a computer run stuff, and maybe it'll go bad and we'll you know anyway, we've talked about that for long enough, but that was something that'll bother me a little bit there, but just getting back to the I say that after having spent half an hour talking about it, but getting back to the main the the main events what do you what do you how do you feel about the um the revelation that Burnham is the red angel. and oh, Well, oh, the fact that they thought she was the red angel. Yeah. I'm forgetting what actually happened at the end of the episode. Yeah, exactly. That was um, a bit of
1: a surprise. So, okay, I'm going to keep the discussion short because we've talked about control way too long. Um, the short story is that I'm really, really enjoying this. The last couple episodes have been just awesome. And I'm really enjoying the ride. And I think the revelation at the end of last episode was really awesome where... The only thing I bumped on was the fact that you know everybody did all these digital scans and they thought for sure that it was, you know, a certainty that it was an exact, undeniable DNA confirmed um, version of Michael. Well, it wasn't
0: DNA. It was. No, it she, was some, They
1: said DNA. No, it,
0: it, I, was, it was. It was pseudoscience. DNA. It was like what Culber was saying. Oh, it was like your their, her her mental imprint or whatever. Yeah, it was he, like her. He
1: did all the scans, including DNA.
0: But they didn't have a sample of the Red Angel's DNA.
1: I don't know. It wasn't, they did. The word DNA did
0: not appear in that conversation. Culber mm-hmm. had he had he had taken like it's like they always talk about you know like you picture these there's a million scenes in sick bay where the captain is looking over the doctor's shoulder with sure. the oh here's her mental engrams or her brain waves or whatever it's like some some neurological fingerprint yeah. basically yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. that they had pegged to Burnham and I guess the idea is that mother and daughter are close enough that
1: yeah it, and it, it as does
0: as kind as well. of make a more sense why if Spock mind-melded with this person... you And you even mentioned this during the episode. If that was Michael, wouldn't he have recognized him? Like, well, maybe he never mind-melded with his sister and so he doesn't really know the, you know, right, yeah. we the were contours about that. of her mm-hmm. mind or whatever. Um, I do feel like their plan was maybe a little ill-conceived, though, because they were putting a lot on faith. Like, if the Red Angel was Michael mm-hmm. and they endanger Michael and half kill her, how did that... Like, that could have gone wrong in so many ways. Oh, yeah. Like, first of all, <laughs> this future version of Michael... like maybe she only knows when to appear and where to appear because she's working from, like, history books, basically, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, history didn't record that Michael tried to, tried kill, to herself kill herself in this thing because, this thing. obviously not, because she...
1: I actually thought If it was she's be Michael
0: different. from the future, yeah. she would know everything that Michael knows. And by Michael knowing that the plan is only to pretend to kill her, wouldn't future Michael then know that it was a trap? Yes. Like, it doesn't really yeah. make a lot of sense. Like, as it turns out, I it makes sense because thing. it's not actually Michael. Right. But the fact that they thought it would work... Yeah, <laughs> doesn't really make much sense because. But they it didn't doesn't know make any that sense. it
1: was right. But they didn't know. Mm-hmm. They think that this future, this this. Mm.
0: If it's a future, it's hard. if it's like is if hard. it's like a possible future, then, then then maybe Michael right. could die, and mm-hmm. this other future would just go on existing or would cease existing. Either way, this Red Angel might not come back to try to stop it because right. she wouldn't know about it. Right, and. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't really—they're putting a lot on faith about how time works, and maybe they know more about temporal mechanics a couple hundred years from now. But it really seems like it's—it's it's putting a lot on faith that the yeah. red angel would come back and stop this. You know? I actually
1: thought it was going to work out differently. I thought for sure that she was going to go back to the scenes that were important to Michael, and they spent a lot of time talking about the death of her parents, only to not use the fact that they're going back to the planet where the. Uh, her parents died more than just this is the location of the next trap we're gonna they go back
0: to the planet where her parents yeah
1: died? that's why they were going back there
0: i don't remember why that it is came that up. true mm-hmm. but then how but were they, exactly but it, it was such, such a, hell, a small such a hellhole how was how was she there with her parents before were they in one of those controlled they, buildings
1: uh, yeah they were scientists there and she she they stayed there. I think it uh, yeah. Hold on cuz like, I I don't know this honey, honey, hold stuff on, goes hold, by fast news episodes. you could answer. be right. I didn't right. remember that it was the no, same No, pla- it, it was a fine planet. It was fine until It's a fine planet. Hold on <laughs> until the star went supernova which destroyed the atmosphere. So the the whole thing like the Klingons kept them longer or something like that like Part of the thing that ruined the atmosphere in the first place was the. Yeah, situation I didn't understand the went...
0: supernova thing either because you would have to be stupid to stay on a planet where the star of that system ignore? is going to go supernova. Yeah. So, so I kind of figured they were watching a star in a From neighboring in, in a neighboring system or something go yeah. supernova. Yeah, yeah, in which yeah. case, it's so far away that just look on a computer screen or through a telescope. you don't need to be on that planet. So I didn't right. really understand the supernova thing. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know, like that. I'll, I mean.
1: This, it was was a a little this was a this was an, but it this was this was
0: fun. an episode where it felt like and I've heard other people say this too in reviews where like the character moments, great stuff. Yes, like the stuff yes, the exactly. moment between Spock and Burnham where he comforts but the supporting her. The moment was not between so great. Burnham and Leland.
1: Yep. Where
0: he tells her what happened to her parents. That was great. The moment between um, Culber and the Admiral, where mm-hmm. he goes and gets her advice as a therapist, yes. former therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird moments with Georgiou. Where she's like kind of macking on Stamets, but also kind of, is she trying to make Culber jealous to help him, kind of? Yeah.
1: Um, She's totally shipping them. She's playing matchmaker in a very dark and weird way. There were
0: great character moments, but to me, the plot kind of felt like too much, too fast. Not really explained as well as I would have wanted, and maybe with some holes, like we talked about with like their their thinking behind the Red Angel and yes, how it was the all supporting supposed to work.
1: science was not exactly, yeah.
0: 100% but the characters 100% in the show proof. are just so strong that yeah. it can carry it a lot of the way, exactly. You know, like so. Um, yeah. so Gotham, probably not as much to say about Gotham this week. Oh, this, I really so
1: you, disliked this episode.
0: You didn't like this episode? No, Did you not like their version terrible. of Bane?
1: Terrible. I mean, they're. Uh, they I mean, he's kind of, of like he's kind of like the,
0: the the, the Dark whatever. Knight and Rises they, they version really, of Bane, just yeah. with a less charismatic actor and less good looking, and you know, less yeah. and less I, fewer I'm muscles. a fan of Shane West, but I like Shane West okay, but yeah. he's not he's not no. Tom Hardy, no. and and Doesn't whoever directed mean. this episode was not Christopher Nolan, so it, it can can't help but kind God, of pale the in comparison. costume
1: design pissed me off too. It's like, okay, seriously? it's like a Gotham
0: esque kind of baroque technology steampunk.
1: Yes, very steampunk.
0: Version, you know very what I mean? Very
1: steampunk, but not well done steampunk. It's steampunk yeah. as conceptualized by a 13-year-old. It's it kinda like, seems, not good. It kind of
0: seems like he walked out of like a, a bad 80s action movie, like the kind we'd see on Best of the Worst or something like that. That kind of costume. Like, yeah. better, you know, better looking than that, but like of a, of a piece artistically with the kind of costumes they would have in like a low-rent 80s action movie kind of yeah, thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: That's what it looked like. It looked like Space Cop.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little. Um... Uh, so so on? so Supergirl. Yeah. What did you think of? I mean, you know, lot going on, but we're already running along here. What did you think of uh, John Cryer as Lex Luthor?
1: Okay, fantastic. So awesome. so, let me,
0: so good. Let me run you through my thought process. So in the the very first scene, where the flashback where he's yeah. got Lena tied up, mm-hmm. and it's like a year before su- the Supergirl series starts or whatever. Like this is Luthor's big downfall, right? Superman's going to come and stop him, mm-hmm. and he's arrested, right? And that's why we don't see him for the first four years of Supergirl because he's in prison, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I I was not on board with him in that scene. He was, in retrospect, I'm sure it worked fine. Like, having seen the rest of his performance, I think it probably worked fine. Mm -hmm. But as an introduction to him, I'm like, it's a little hammy, it's a little over the top, it's a little too maniacal, monologuing supervillain, which definitely Lex Luthor can be. Like, Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor, Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. You know, but I'm Mm -hmm. much more of, like, Clancy Brown, you Michael know Rosenbaum, like low-key threatening, mm-hmm. like all the all the insanity is like under the surface. You know, he's he's keeping it clamped down under the veneer of like a confident, calm. But then it man, always you know?
1: comes out though, right? And but this it's was not. It's when not when it was supposed to come on. out. No, but this was when I know, it was but supposed because we don't out. have
0: a context for it yet. This is the only time we've seen him. We're like, is he going to be like okay, this all fair. the time?
1: Yeah, fair. Maybe that's not why the best was, place for that introduction. That's but why it was, it was a little offputting. Yeah, but
0: then the rest of the episode, I thought he was fantastic. I thought he was creepy and threatening. yet but also empathetic.
1: I have to and add one... The way
0: that he... Hold on, let me just finish my thought. The way that he reached, like, opened up to his sister. Yes. And then retroactively, of course, oh. you learn that he's tricking her. But in that way that, like, you feel like he kind of probably meant a lot of it, too. And he said as much. Well, he said that, but he, he could have been lying. I mean, theoretically, he could no, have been no, lying no, no. about he that said, part, no, too. That... But the fact that you buy it in the moment, and mm-hmm. even later when he says...
1: He's a sociopath. Like,
0: he's... it was clear that he's a sociopath and a maniac and all this stuff. Like, you still buy that he does have these feelings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's tricky, and it was, a, it was a really good showcase for him. But I just... The first moment was kind of off-putting because we're seeing him at peak yeah. Luther. Like, yeah. that's peak Luther. Like, peak Gene Hackman, Kevin Spacey Luther. And then later, it's more like the low-key Luther that Human. I prefer. Yeah. So... It was a little jarring at first, but I think overall, like, you did a fantastic job. Yeah.
1: I liked the part about the generators too and how it didn't come up, but it sort of like
0: peaked yeah, in my it was ear. Smart. And I was like, wait a it minute. It was an actual smart plot. It was a good like, plot. Yeah, I really yeah. like Supergirl, but usually the villains on Supergirl, they either don't have a plan or their plan is like kind Very of really juvenile. basic, really yeah. basic or dumb, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, which is fine because it's not normally about the villains having some intricate plot. But no. when you were introducing Lex Luthor into the show, you he should have a, he should have a clever plot, and- you know. And I thought the reveal, even though it wasn't set up at all and foreshadowed in any way, and so it really just feels like they made the decision in the room when they were writing this script, having Eve Tessmacher suddenly be evil. Yeah. It's like I really evil don't. Test I really don't think that they had this plan two years ago when they introduced her. I, yeah. I really think it's like, oh, we got, we can, we finally have permission to use Lex Luthor. Oh, let's make it that, that Eve was evil all along. Yeah, and working for, it's like I'm happen. sure they came up with that oh, yeah. in the moment. That was not foreshadowed in any other in any way for the past two years. That's what makes the betrayal
1: so much more. But you know hurtful and good. O-
0: and otis is alive again so ah. we can have otis and miss Tessmacher and luther all together like like l- listen
1: i love the christopher <laughs> reeve superman movies
0: probably more than is healthy but i really felt like they were bending the bending over backwards to get those three characters into oh. the classic relationship I think they bent trifecta back. i
1: think it made a lot of sense he's
0: alive again somehow and she's suddenly evil it, I, it suddenly felt
1: evil i don't think that that was i it, well, whatever she's received zero. Well,
0: she's received zero development, yeah. but there's been no indication she's anything other than like sweet and smart and helpful in any other appearance she's made in the past two years. So it, I don't know, it's, it's very definition of coming in. Well, if you know nothing about a character, then all of a sudden you know that they're evil. It can't help but make them more interesting because now you know <laughs> something about them as opposed to nothing. But it still doesn't change so the fact beef? that- Because it came out of nowhere. So? Like if you're going to have a character turn evil after two years, there should be some indication somewhere that she's got like a bit of a dark side or like have her disagree with James one time. Like, you know what? You know, maybe like Lena has got have her side with the Luthers. But then maybe, that would like, tip
1: her hand. If she's really good at being evil, yeah, but you can justify it after the at, fact. Know. Was
0: she's actually was the perfect spy <laughs> because even though you've been watching her for years, she was never any 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 indications <laughs> yet any personality whatsoever. <laughs> Isn't that really clever of her and the writers? She didn't twirl
1: her mustache once. Yeah,
0: she was pretending to be a bland, two dimensional mm-hmm. guest star on a on a <laughs> on a TV show, and actually she was evil all along. It was <laughs> the writers were genius. Yes. Um, no, I, I thought I thought that he was really good, and then you know we I. I I don't know. Like so now, have to now I'm going back. to be hold sad on. if we never see Tyler Hoechlin oh. Superman face off against this oh. version of Lex Luthor. I'm not so, sure we'll ever get that, on. but I hope that I we do. I
1: have to jump in defense of that first opening scene. Yes, it was very hammy, and yes, he was in full, full crazy mode, um, comic book version crazy mode. Yes, Gene Hackman and all that stuff. But I appreciated his sense of timing because. He had, a no pun intended here on timing, because he's using a watch to detonate some stuff. And I love that it happened off screen with just a little bit of a light going up, and you know that you know. Yeah, because we didn't wa- have
0: the budget to show massive explosions.
1: And you know what? That's fine. You know, yeah, there's a it's lot. Fine. There's a lot to it's be fine. said for that because it's clever. Like you, you don't have to see the explosion to be no to know that the, a lot of people just died. You know, like, uh, and that Luther was responsible. In fact, it's almost more satisfying to watch. Him, click something on a watch and move on with with his day and move on with his thought like it was a nothing for him like he he saw it coming a mile away and didn't even think about it He just planned for it as if it was part of his breathing routines you know like that's it Um, I loved that part, but I also loved the moment when he knew that he was going to be overcome and he took a few steps back away from the window, away from his sister and prepared to be arrested. Yeah, because he thinks he's made his point. But he had made his point. Exactly. But it was like all on his terms and he knew when he would have everything there and everything up until and including his arrest was so meticulously planned out that he was able to finish his sentence by the time those. It just felt a little more earned than... uh, than it usually does in situations like this. You know how sometimes it just feels scripted. But in this way it was so it felt like Luthor had planned it. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Like in that very beginning it just felt like yes, obviously it was scripted, but it was it felt like it was scripted by Luthor. And and that makes him all the better for it because it's like he was he knew he was about to be arrested he knew all of these things were happening he knew he was going to blow this thing up and then finish a final point to his sister and then have more charges brought up against him and, and ultimately and whatever else he was you know cooking up there and and then he steps back and he uh, you know finishes his thought and he's done he's ready and the cops come in at that point and arrest him, and it was just—it oh, was
0: good. I think my my ideal version of Luther is is one where he views like I get a lot of it from like the comics I read growing up, of course. But I remember—do you remember the moment in the in, in JLA that we read recently in the Rock of Ages storyline where um, his injustice gang there had been civilian casualties in one of their attacks in the Justice League, and then later he gets access to the the philosopher stone. And he has Joker undo those deaths, right? Oh. Do you remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, and he said he had a line like "regrettable casualties of our war in the Justice League," but not funny, right? Because Joker was laughing about the dead about the dead children, and he, right. he punches Joker in the face. Like, I like Luther who who views it like it's he 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 is a proxy for humanity who is waging war on this alien force, right. Superman, who yep. is trying to subvert Earth, basically, right. right? Or like lord it over them or whatever, mm-hmm. and so. If, people, if some people have to die in his righteous war on Superman, they are just that, regrettable casualties. But the the glee in which this version of Luther, and also say like Gene Hackman's version of Luther, the glee that they, they would take in killing people, or at least their complete lack of concern... Yeah.
1: I wouldn't whatsoever. Say glee. He wasn't like maniacal about it. He well, simply was. Gene like, oh, that's
0: Gene Hackman's Luther is like when I'm talking about like a gleeful version of Lex Luther. Right, but like, That's make, not
1: John Cryer. I
0: know, but I mean I'm, i they're on a continuum. He's he's mm-hmm. Crier's version is like in between, but I I do like I do prefer versions prefer versions of Luther that he sees himself as, like, the ultimate humanist. Like, he's defending humanity against Superman. So yep. when humans have to die mm-hmm. in his war on mm-hmm. Superman, he regrets it, right? But he doesn't just shrug it off, necessarily. Right. Whereas, Cryer's version seemed like here he was kind of shrugging it off. And then you go all the way to the other side of the continuum. we got someone like Gene Hackman, who almost seems like he's kind of getting off on it a little bit, you know, because he, he's exerting he his power, control, yeah. showing how superior mm-hmm. he is to everyone else. You know, that's a little bit more than mustache twirly. That's true. Um, so So, Flash...
1: Wait, I wasn't done.
0: Well, You weren't done? No.
1: Um, I wanted to say that the other part, the the very end, 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 and when they're walking to the helicopter, and he again, Luther, had planned everything so meticulously that there were probably mines that had been dormant on that property for the
0: longest, longest time. So I must have missed something. Was, Was that his mansion? Why, why did well, they go to Luther they...
1: Mansion? It was their con, it so was it's their Lena's. Collected... That's where Lena lives. Y- yeah, um, but Luther, but Lex lived there before he got arrested. Right, like, but there's I, their family home. The,
0: all of a sudden, they were in a mansion, and I guess I must have missed that it was their mansion and why they were there. Like, well, it's, it's, yeah, this when Leitha's... she was
1: going home from the laboratory and she was going home from the hospital, like that's her
0: home base. But he and she, he,
1: we had seen that before.
0: She wanted. She was getting his help with her experiments. Why was she doing it in her living room?
1: Because she was finalizing everything and he was only allowed to be there under house arrest.
0: Okay. All right. I just, I, I must have missed that it was their mansion. And I guess, like, I guess I got that it was her home, but I guess I didn't realize it was the... like. Well, her mom's
1: and, in jail and her brother's in jail. Sure. So she, that's her house But now, she so. also
0: hates her family, <laughs> largely. Also, well, so I guess I was surprised that she was still living in the ancestral Luther Mansion. I I pictured her more like living in a loft downtown or something like that, you know? She didn't seem like the type, and so I'm like, oh, I guess there's a mansion now, Whatever, but I didn't,
1: maybe she likes the community. I didn't
0: realize it was the Luther House. <laughs> I, I guess I think. just didn't realize it was the Luther House. I wonder if it was actually well I wonder if it was actually the same mansion that they use as a double for
1: the if Luther mansion the... in
0: Smallville, because they're shooting oh. in the same uh-huh. town. You know they use the farm and they use <laughs> the farm in the crossover, right? Yeah, they use yeah, the same they did. Kent farm so um, I'd have to go back and uh, look. I think, I probably think it probably would have recognized familiar, if it was the same yeah. s- the same place. Um so can we move on to Flash now? No. Did you say no?
1: No, I still wasn't in I still wasn't done. I just wanted to say that like that last part where he had set off all those explosions in the yard, it just it just furthered my impressness of not just the character, but also the way John Cryer prayed it played it because he he was just he was gleeful, he was like, that's this one, this was." He was conducting a little orchestra in his mind and it was just, it was cool. And I really liked the use of uh, classical music for his character, which they did in the movies and they—that that was a good thought and I'm glad they kept it here. But um, I really liked how everything had been set up there and it just made me think, wow, how long were those there, you know? Those were sitting in the yard for must have been years, waiting for him to push a few buttons. Those um, lasers behind the statues that that just opened up and did what they were supposed to do to clear the path like that was that was just cool it was just cool and I I really liked the um forethought that it must have taken for his you know for him to set all that up just in case and um I don't know his escape was really good but also John uh Crier's like his little mannerisms as they were making their escape were just perfect because it wasn't like crazy insane it was a little much but he was he was he was taking enjoyment out of it but he was also like in line with every bit of his performance up until that point and i really just appreciated him so i really hope we see him again now i'm done okay we can move on to the next show
0: so since we're kind of running long why don't we talk about uh flash black lightning arrow and doom patrol next week okay? that sounds a good especially idea. since there are new episodes of all those shows yeah, exactly. Perfect. Yep.
1: Perfect timing. wanna tell people how they can reach us? Yes. Um so we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Twitter we are at smartspodcast and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about Very good.